is Decoding Learning Differences with Cameron Lavelle, and this episode is Analyzing Motivation with Alfie Cohn. From his website, Alfie Cohn writes and speaks widely on human behavior, education, and parenting. The author of 14 books and hundreds of articles, he lectures at education conferences and universities, as well as to parent groups and corporations. Cohn's criticisms of competition and rewards have been widely discussed and debated, and he has been described in Time Magazine as perhaps the country's most outspoken critic of education's fixation on grades and test scores. So you can find out a ton about him at alfiecone.org, and I hope you enjoy this interview. So welcome to the podcast, Alfie Cohn. We are so excited to have you here with us today. And I will, I've just done an introduction on kind of who you are and your background. So we're going to jump right in to our first question, which is how would you define motivation? Well, there isn't a single thing called motivation. And that's an important point because a lot of us will talk about, for example, wanting kids to be more motivated as if there were a single entity of which you could simply have more or less. But the reality is there are different kinds of motivation, and the kind matters more than the amount. So psychologists typically distinguish between intrinsic motivation, which means you do something because it, it meets a fundamental need that you have. It provides meaning or joy in itself and extrinsic motivation, which means that you do something in order that something outside of or extrinsic to the task will happen, such as you get a reward for doing it. And it's important to realize that these two are not only different, and not only is it the case that intrinsic motivation, finding something valuable uh, in itself, is more powerful but that intrinsic motivation is undermined by extrinsic motivation. Or to put it differently, the more you reward people for doing something, the more they tend to become less interested in whatever they had to do to get the reward. Yes, yes. And we've talked about that on the show before, so thank you for putting that so beautifully. Um, so... We've kind of gone through, we've had several episodes on the podcast kind of giving parents idea of ways to kind of, my goal is to give ways to inspire that intrinsic motivation. Um, and a lot of that is just kind of providing opportunities and situations. So one of the first mm -hmm. things we really talked about was focusing on the relationship between the parent and the child, as well as between the child and other people, you know, introducing them to new people that can, might be an inspiring person for them. Um, yep. What is what is your thoughts on that and, and, and the source of relationships as kind of a source of motivation? Well, I think we need to back up a step and say intrinsic or extrinsic motivation to do what? The vast majority of parenting resources, books, articles, podcasts, and so on, seem to take it for granted that anything the parent wants the kid to do is automatically legitimate. And now the only question is, what tricks or techniques can be offered to get the kid to do it? 
you know, and if you're a little more sophisticated or enlightened, instead of saying, you know, to coerce the kid into doing it or motivate the kid to do it, you say, uh, you know, support their intrinsic motivation. But to do what? Sometimes when kids don't do what we want, the problem is not with the kid. The problem is with what we want. And so I think the first step before we get to how do you nudge the kid or prod the kid or whatever, or motivate the kid, is to ask, are we sure that this is in the child's best interest and that it's not just for our convenience? Are we sure that it meets the child's needs, not just our preferences? Are we sure that it's developmentally appropriate? You know, so for example, uh, let's take a couple of things that come up often. You know, I talk about why rewards and punishments of all kinds, regardless of what you call them, even if they're called logical consequences or positive reinforcement, respectively, so that we can feel better about bribing and threatening kids. When I, I go through the research showing that those things always backfire, that they're not just ineffective in the long run, but actively counterproductive, people say, well, then, how do I get my kid to clean up his room? You know, if I can't bribe him or threaten him, how do I get how do I get my kid to, to to eat her vegetables if I can't, you know, use dessert to to bribe them? And instead of offering what sound like nicer ways to get kids to do those things, I think we have to back up and question in the first example why a child's room has to be kept up to our standards when it's the only place on the planet that belongs to the kid, you know? Or if we're feeding kids basically nutritious foods, why we would ever have to make them eat a specific food. The problem is with the parent's objective, not just with finding a nicer way to get it done. Now, once we've passed that threshold and we're convinced that the goal here, the objective, is really something that's in the kid's best interest, um, then, and one of the ways we determine that, especially with, with, with kids who are capable of letting us know, is to ask the kid. You know, the best parents do a lot less telling uh, and a lot more, more asking. And I think kids learn to make good decisions by making decisions, not by following directions. And so one of the key ways we can help kids to turn out to be the kind of wonderful people we hope they will be, that note the long-term goal as opposed to making them do X today, um, is by bringing kids in on making decisions and supporting their autonomy. Um, instead of finding cleverer or nicer ways to manipulate them, which is what most parenting resources are really offering. And another way to support them is what you mentioned, which is our relationship with them um, and making sure that nothing gets in the way uh, of that, but not just so that we can use that relationship as leverage to get them to jump through our hoops, but because that relationship is valuable and important in its own right. Yes, that you you hit on so many amazing points there. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. I think we have to be careful that we are not ever trying to use that that motivation as a tool. Um, it's not, 
you know, I always eat, I, last week I saw somebody say, oh, I'm about to start potty training, send me your tips and tricks. And I was like, we, we always want these tips and tricks to have quick wins, but it's, it's a much deeper issue than that. There's, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're wanting for your child, you have to, to really focus. Um, and you, you brought in so many, so many great points on things being developmentally appropriate, meeting their needs. Um, and, and why does it matter? You know, you're, you're, I, I completely agree. Um, so yeah, I, when I'm thinking about relationships, it is like, I'm thinking about just motivating kids to be, to, to feel an intrinsic motivation towards something. And it, and it doesn't have to have an end goal for me that it's like, that they're intrinsically motivated to do, to learn something. A lot of times what I'm focusing on on here is about learning and getting, helping kids develop academic skills. But a lot of it is, you know, I don't ever want to be coercive in it or, um, which I think bribes, punishments, rewards, praise can all be very coercive. So it's all, I'm trying to, to kind of come up with ideas for parents on what they can do. Um, and, and it is tricky because it is then, I think, relaxing a lot and listening to what the kids are wanting and needing and telling you and what is already interesting to them. But then I was also thinking about relationships with people like in the community that they don't know. And by getting to know that person, they might become really interested in what that person does as a job and might, you know, want to pursue something in that or not. And either way is fine. It's really just about providing opportunities, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Lots of opportunities. I mean, there's thousands of opportunities to do many things that can enrich their lives and pique their curiosity about the world. Meeting people in the community would be on that list of a thousand. Um, but I think it's far more important to realize that when we want kids to be academically motivated, that that suffers from some of the same problems about the problem being with the goal rather than looking for a better technique than just as the uh, the other things that we want kids to do for, for our convenience or because we think it's better. Um, and that that sort of begins to, to creep into the more educational uh, area of my own work where I've written a number of books about what's wrong with the way we think about academics and schooling and how so much of it is really uh, constrained by problematic notions of academic success and what const there's a big difference between for example academic skills and intellectual growth and as one uh, early childhood expert put it, the problem with most early childhood education in this country is it is far too academic in a way that's developmentally inappropriate and not nearly intellectual enough. Because intellectual, in the best sense of that term, is about making connections and distinctions, about creating questions and finding ways to answer them that help us understand ideas from the inside out. That's very, very different from learning your colors and letters and numbers or memorizing as you get older facts that are in short-term memory because you'll need them for a test 
or merely practicing skills because somebody says it's time you learn how to do division. So kids don't have to be given intrinsic motivation to learn. What we have to do is provide them with a culture, a climate, if we're teachers, work with them to create a curriculum, not create a curriculum for them, that will allow them to become increasingly sophisticated in the way they ask and answer questions and pursue projects um, to help them understand themselves and the world. We don't have to make them interested in this stuff. We have to follow their interests and not just facilitate the process by which they come to understand more deeply, but sometimes artfully complicate their understanding so that when they think they've got something, we ask them uh, a question that is quietly subversive and leads them to have to rethink, reconstruct, reconstrue the reality they thought they understood. Yeah, we provide them with resources, but it's very different from the kind of parent who's pushing kids to learn to read you know, early or to memorize facts or to get better at subtraction on somebody else's schedule. Um, that, that's, that kind of hurrying kids and looking for new ways to motivate them again, is problematic because it's, it's not really about deep understanding. It's about the conventional academic steps that I not only can undermine your relationship with the kid because you're pressuring them, but can undermine their intellectual development by causing them to become less excited about ideas. Yeah, I, I think that's such a great point. Um, so many great points there. That there is a big difference between academic skills and intellectual growth, um, and and kids already have intrinsic motivation to learn. So yeah, I guess a lot of what I'm always trying to think of is different experiences, and a lot of what I suggest um, when I am talking about encouraging, you know, with parents that want to encourage reading skills, writing skills, a lot of it is just about modeling it and giving the kids choices and novelty. But I, I definitely hear what you're saying that we have to be careful that we're not, that, we're, that we don't have an end goal, that we're not trying to get something out of them or focus or hurry them along. Um, but I also liked what you were saying about, you know, having those intellectual discussions with them and having that, that are really thought-provoking and develop their intellectual um, prowess, which then is going to lead them to have those, those academic skills naturally develop as, I mean, naturally as in they will pursue them because it helps them meet their own goals. Am I hearing you right? Uh, yes, yes, I think, I think that's right. That's part of what I was saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you, um, Okay, because I'm I'm always trying to think about, you know, I get questions from parents, and a lot of times it is trying to get them out of this mindset of, of a quick fix of how do I get my kid to do X, Y, Z, and get them to rethink how that can look. Um, so I'm always, I'm always trying to think about... How to reframe the question rather than just answer it. Um, 
So when I do a workshop with parents or teachers, for that matter, I typically start by asking, what are your long-term goals for your kids? How do you hope they'll turn out in the long run, years from now? Think of a word or a phrase that captures what for you is an overriding hope. And everywhere I go, I get the same kind of answers uh, from parents and teachers uh, of young kids and older kids in urban, suburban, and rural areas. You know, people say things like, well, ultimately, I want my kid to be happy, or I want my kid to be an ethical person, or I want my kid to be a caring, compassionate human being, or independent, self-reliant, curious, creative thinkers, you know, that kind of thing. These are the terms that show up all the time. So what I do for a living about different topics is I say to people, you know, you say you want this, so why are you doing that? And that's one way of responding people who say, you know, how do I get, how do I motivate my kids to, to start becoming interested in school subjects or to clean this room or whatever it is. Um, and it turns out that most of the ways that we try to make kids do this and especially do it on our schedule and to do things that are always conventionally approved of, um, are, are things that aren't just troubling to, to me and maybe to you, but more importantly, the answer to the questions that people are asking you like that may actually end up undermining their own long-term goals for their children. So, for example, you want your kid to be um, a caring person, compassionate, concerned about others, well, there is research that shows that traditional kinds of parenting, including praise, by the way, good job, I really like the way you, makes kids more self-centered. And that's not surprising when you think about it, because if you praise them for anything, but especially for sharing or helping, you've taught them that the reason to do that is not because of how it will affect someone else, but how they'll get a, a, a verbal doggy biscuit from you. So now they're less concerned about other people's well-being. So, and there's many, many other examples like that. You know, you say you want kids to be, I say this to teachers, you say you want kids to be lifelong learners. Great. Then why would you ever give homework of any kind or ever use grades? Because research clearly demonstrates that both homework and grades make kids less excited about learning. So you got to pick. Either I'm going to keep doing this and keep asking questions like, how do I make my kid do X and do it now? Or you are serious about helping kids to become happy, ethical, caring, independent, and so on. And that's, that's how I think a podcast can be very useful is helping people rethink the question rather than giving them slightly nicer or more palatable answers to problematic questions. I like that. I like that. Um, and yeah, I, I wrote it down so I can use it in the future. Um, steal it. Steal I, it. I will. I will steal it and then I'll also look, give credit. Say, and then go read Alfie Cohn's book. Books. Uh, so many, so many great books. Um, so do you think there's any place in any kind of effort towards 
developing a child's intrinsic motivation toward academic pursuits? Well, I'm, I'm not sure how much more I have to say about that after what I've already said about the difference. I mean, just adding the word intrinsic here doesn't solve the problem. You can't motivate a child or another adult in any meaningful sense of the term. You can try to make them do something. That's what rewards and punishments are about. But you can't make them want to do it. And just calling it intrinsic motivation doesn't let you off the hook here. Um, I, I guess I'm thinking can, about, is it worth the okay. effort of, like, should we be trying to create experiences and things where it might it might help lead them toward an intrinsic motivation in a particular pursuit, or should we... No, I think I think it's problematic to the more specific it gets in terms of what you want them to be able to do, the more problematic it gets. Um, right. Now that's why I think it's fine to think that schools in general should help kids think deeply about questions that matter, you know, and be able to communicate ideas. But when you start talking about knowing what a Venn diagram is or the difference between a participle and a predicate, let alone doing it at a certain grade level, that's that, that just creates failures unnecessarily, especially if you say, every, yeah, everybody's got to do it and to be here by grade three. I mean, for example, you know that kids who learn to read at three or four and kids who don't learn to read until seven or eight are indistinguishable from each other by age 10. There is no benefit, only harm, to pushing kids to get this stuff faster than they're showing interest in it. Now, you read the books because that's a great way to bond with your kid and also because the stories are great and because it can, can juice up their imagination and because they begin to make the connections between those squiggles on the page and the words that you're saying. And they may pick that up. Great. And then have lots of books around. And if they ask questions about the world, you know, like I remember my daughter asking me at one point, do tummies have bones? You know, you know, kids are full of these kind of questions. What an opportunity to go to the library or go online and help them figure out how you get a question like that answered and notice the new questions that it proposes. That's the kind of parental support for kids' ex existing curiosity. A lot of ways you provide them with support, you get out of the way, and you don't kill it. And you organize with other parents to push for the best kind of student-centered, understanding-oriented kinds of, kinds of learning and actively oppose traditional school practices like tests and quizzes and homework and grades and uh, lectures and worksheets, which are all about facts and, and skills in a way that leave kids unexcited to say the least. Schools can be much more than that when they are truly places that are student-centered and intellectually oriented. And if your kid is old enough and in a traditional school where they're getting report cards with grades, your job is to stop focusing on how well the school thinks your kid is doing and focus instead on what the kid is doing 
ask your child questions like, you know, why do you think dinosaurs became extinct? Or which of these authors really do you think is a great writer, you know, and why? Talk about the learning. Never talk about grades. You know, try to move, help your school move to become one of the schools that's gotten rid of grades so they're more about intellectual excellence and interest. But if the report cards still exist, ignore them. Anytime you're getting your kid to focus on how am I doing in school and is it good enough, that is anti-intellectual and it's not going to be great for your relationship either. Right, right. That Yeah, anything. Well, I think there's so many great things that you have been reminding us of today. And the biggest, I think, is constantly coming back to if we're what is the purpose of, you know, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not saying it as well as you have. I'm trying to come yeah, back. You don't have to say it again. I mean, I, I had my chance and I appreciate the opportunity to have said it you, already. Yes. I, it's just, it's such, you have so many great reminders. Um, are there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to leave the parents with? Um, imagine how things look from your kid's point of view. Psychologists call it perspective taking. How does your kid probably look upon what was done in school or what you just said to her last night? Not just how would you feel if somebody said that to you, that's a good first step. But the second step is not just how I would feel, but how my kid feels. We become better parents when we get in the habit of constantly looking at things from the perspective of our children rather than just remaining locked in our own goals uh, and perspectives. So that's one, one key that helps open the lock um, and, and, and helps us become the kind of parents that we have the potential to become. That is beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time, Alfie Cohn. This has been wonderful hearing from you and, and kind of having you um, explain a little bit and kind of analyze some of these thoughts that that have been going on in my head um I definitely come from a school-based background and I'm constantly reevaluating all of that and trying to push at, you know the more the more I know about education the more I know that the traditional model is not appropriate um and so but I also find myself well, going back to some of those old mindsets and then I have to keep questioning so I appreciate That's all of right. it. That's right. we become better. Good. And if any of your listeners are interested in more of the kind of uh, topics that I was discussing and wanting to see some of the research supporting this critique uh, beyond my books, um, I have many, many articles all available for free on my website, which is just my name, alfiecohn.org. Yes. We'll have a link to your books as well as your website. Um on the notes for this episode. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your interest. Bye. Bye.